Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to Propaganda. It's brought to you by Levi Solicitors. There's 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball 15% the offer time running out on this one uh, 15% off your legal fees of conveyancing instructions until the end of January 2022 details on the website so propaganda is the show where we find out what's been said about Leeds United in the wake of the most recent game so it's Newcastle today hooray uh, Dan Michael and Moscow and if you are watching this on video obviously it's on, on YouTube as well as the the audio version you'll observe that we are doing this distantly today so here is the studio with me, all lonely. How is it? Are you, are you sad? Does it feel nicer? Feels cleaner. Yeah. I feel less oppressed. Let's get the stink out, I suppose. <laughs> right then. Um, yeah, we're doing it remotely today just as a COVID precaution. and um, We don't want to be transmitting diseases to one another, but we're all, we're all clean, aren't we, as far as we know? Anyway, into the, uh, the show, and part one of the show is where we find out what Leeds fans have been saying about Leeds United. We'll do the Newcastle fans in the second half. What was the fan reaction? to that shambles at Ellen Road then on Saturday. We'll start with Craig Robertson because he said nice things. He said we didn't get anything wrong. Balanced and pragmatic listen helped calm me down. We should say that's us, not Leeds United. Leeds United got loads wrong. Well, we did. We did and we didn't, depending on on which bit of feedback you're looking at, I suppose. A fair number of people pointing out that we were actually quite good in the first half, just missing a strike. So it's all fine then. We don't need to worry. Nobody needs to be sad about that at the weekend. I think the the reaction of, of sadness... It's fairly typical in the wake of a Leeds defeat, isn't it? But it's never quite as bad as we fear. And when things are good, it's never quite as good as we uh, as we enjoy, I guess. See, I've been really, really very miserable about this. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been having to watch Newcastle fans trying to find something that's not smug that they've been saying. But yeah, it's really annoyed me. I felt like it, it was all set up for us to have a really nice trouble-free break. We didn't have to really stress about transfers. The table was looking good. We were pretty much safe. Whereas as it is, we're just not quite there, are we? But if you went back to January the 1st and thought, right, three games, Burnley, West Ham, Newcastle, we get six points from nine. We increase the gap from the relegation places from five points to seven. It's actually gone to plan from that point of view. The only thing is we beat West Ham and we lost to Newcastle when we expected it to be the other way round. With hindsight, realising how dumb we can be as Leeds fans sometimes. Of course, it was obvious that we would actually beat West Ham and lose to Newcastle, partly because that's Leeds 
and it's what we do. But then also kind of the the play styles that Newcastle were going to be the ones with nine outfield defenders and West Ham would be the ones who'd leave the, the space. So if you rewound a month and said, this is what you'll get out of January in terms of points and distance to relegation, this is kind of what we were hoping for. So it's not actually that terrible. It's just ending on ending the month on a, a defeat to that shower of nonsense is a, is a, it sucks. And I've had people having a go at me here in the feedback for being what I described as philosophical in the wake of this. But it's funny, I got angrier on Sunday about this than I did on Saturday. I think maybe my reaction to it was just a little bit delayed. But I, I feel quite philosophical about it in that way that you just described, Moscow. It's like, it's one of those leadsy things to do, isn't it? Is that to beat West Ham, get expectations up and just not be able to find the back of the net against Newcastle it is so typically Leeds. And I think as a, a symptom of what happens with um, Bielsa's football is every now and then you just get these games where you absolutely muller the opposition for ages, don't score, and then get bitten on the arse in the second half. It just does happen sometimes, doesn't it? And I think overall the direction of travel is fine, it's good, we'll be okay this season, but stuff like that's not fun. But I mean, I try not to let it drag me down too much. To reassure Michael about the difference winning would have made, we still wouldn't have been safe. Ah, but we'd have been nearly safe. Nah. Three points and then we, we lose the next game and Newcastle go on a run. We're still, it goes to the end of the season like this. So almost being safe could have lulled us into a false sense of security. I wouldn't, uh, I'm not sure I could have been able to handle you going into February being all like, ah, yeah, leads are staying up, season's over, everything's fine. That would have possibly been even worse than feeling like we're still at risk. Whereas that would be our stance, even if we were six points adrift with the game to go, he'd be like, we're going to be fine. We're going to stay up. There's nothing to be concerned about here. Well, you know, I've always said, we're gonna, we've still got quite a lot of games to lose this season. So that's something to look forward to. And I think, uh, and yeah, I think there would have been some danger inherent in assuming that being Newcastle would have made the rest of the season a breeze. Still just going to be the same. If, if you're going back to the... Um... This happens sometimes. A few people, Boney M. Philip, West Ham, Ralph, all kind of likening this to the championship days where these games would occasionally happen that we'd, we'd play well and we'd sort of lose our way and just not be able to score. It reminded me really of every game we played against Gary Monk team in the championship. Mm. It came to time waste from the first minute. And once we got past an initial spell of running out of ideas, it just felt like the game got away from us. It's a bit of a Bielsa thing as well. I put it in my match report about, you know, he always calls the 2002. World Cup with Argentina, that he owns the greatest failure in the history of the Argentina national team. And that was because they needed to beat uh, Sweden in the third group game to qualify for the um, knockout stages. And they went a goal behind on the hour. And it was exactly the same thing. They had, you know, well, it's not exactly the same thing because they had Ariel Ortega and Gabriel Batistuta, whereas we had um, Tyler Roberts and Dan James. But they couldn't score. And throwing absolutely everything at it, they've got an equaliser in the 88th minute, um, but it didn't get them through. And it's one of the hitches with Bielsa's football is that if you go ultra defensive and even the best players then have a problem unlocking that kind of tight defensive play, which is why teams do it. And it doesn't mean that Bielsa's you know, found out and it's not something that we can never overcome because we won a lot of those games in the championship but it does it increases the chances that we'll get mugged it's just that annoying isn't it around the philosophical question of are we safe Yorkie Dave says uh, do we all feel like we could still go down after that so flat after convincing myself that Newcastle are just as bad as Watford I think they are 
I think they are a bad side, but we just leads it in, didn't we? We just couldn't finish. Um, Tyrone's Minge, the interesting name there. It's all relative, boys, and points out, yeah, we didn't expect anything from West Ham, and we should have been in Newcastle. It's just asked about face, the Leeds way. Still on course for a 13th place finish, which sounds about right, doesn't it? As long as we don't completely collapse now for the final part of the season. I mean, Brentford and Everton are both crap now, aren't they? So that's some, some other teams that we can fairly realistically look to catch, I think. It, I guess my opinion hasn't changed all season. Well, I think early on I was maybe a bit more optimistic, but I think once we got a little a grip of this season, I thought we'll probably just about be all right. It just won't be a huge amount of fun getting there necessarily. And weeks like this just kind of confirm that. We still can go limping up the way to mid-table, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do. I think I said the other week, and I still feel like it, that the teams that are below us now will finish below us. I don't think any of them have got the capability of overtaking us. You know, They can sign all the Chris Woods that they want, they can bring in all the Roy Hodgson's that they like. There's nobody there that's got anything more to give than what they do. And I was saying it on uh, Saturday, and I still feel like it, that if uh, we can beat West Ham, Newcastle can't. But then it just comes down to why the F they can beat us, which isn't fair. But we um, we are better than all those teams. Norwich against, um, was it Norwich against Watford on Friday night? It was almost unwatchable nonsense. It was bad, bad wasn't it? And Newcastle, I mean, I've seen some of the fan clips with them saying, uh, you know, how brilliantly they played and, you know, performance it was. They were not good. They were not good against us. We ended up giving them a um, a goal with lots of in, in lots of stupid ways. Otherwise, they were not a good team, and they won't be a good team. That's and I'm sure last points will win this season. I think they are possibly getting themselves into a, I don't know. A, They've managed to talk themselves into being in good form of Newcastle fans off the back of this one, just because they've scored a. It, I mean, it was a lucky goal. We'll kind of, we should probably mention the goal. Melier saves that nearly always, and they don't. And they don't win that game. And in the first half with the striker, we're probably a goal or two up at half time. And their problems are not over. I think is the the key to that. That they they're kind of like, well, we're going into the break now. We've got this form. We were in, they did like a nice picture in the dressing room afterwards, didn't they? They were yes. all like. They've done it after both their wins this season. So they say so hard so far to show for this season. They have two celebratory dressing room photos. It's absolutely pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just on the team selection angle, I think there's a grain of truth in this. And this is what I was talking about and why I'm philosophical. It's like, we're basically all living in Bielsa's world here, aren't we? Um, A willing hamstring donor is the name attached to this particular comment. And just saying, essentially, the point is, why not square pegs in square holes rather than the uh, the movement of all the pieces and then taking off our only actual central midfielder when the midfield was already patchwork from the start? I think that's absolutely fair, is that? And, you know, like uh, we said before, like Tyler Roberts is a lightning rod for all the criticism. Sometimes it's deserved, sometimes it's not. You know, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory in that goal. But then again, neither did Llorente, neither did Melier. It would be nice to have some midfielders. It keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? About moving the pieces around that maybe if you put Yelder in at left back, Dallas can play in midfield, you know, but then again, do you want to lose Rodrigo? I don't know. And, and this is it. We just got to kind of sit back and say, well, this is Bielsa. He's not above criticism. He's not above analysis. And it'll, it'll end up however it ends up. There is a contribution to that on the back of having watched the under 23s last night against Blackburn. So we're recording. Tuesday morning, they lost 4-0. Yelda started at left-back for the under-23s and was awful for the first 20 minutes at least as part of a 
um, a team performance that was terrible, but he literally could not put a foot right. And that's not to say he's a bad player or anything because we've seen him um, play brilliantly in the Premier League. But it kind of, when you talk about the why you would rely on Stuart Dallas at left back instead of how old he elder is, like 18, and he's played a couple of good games. And this is it, a couple of good games from a, a teenager, and we decide that they're the, the left back solution for evermore. It's not development at that age, it's not always. A linear, just a straight upward line, and um, and I think it's the same as to why Bielsa will bring on Tyler Roberts ahead of Gelhart. He just goes, he goes for the most experienced player who, in theory, is more reliable and more able to produce a regular sort of style of performance. It's certainly regular. <laughs> we know exactly what to expect. Well, you do know what to expect, and I, I suppose to take off the kind of the the edge on that you don't know what to expect from Yelder for example at left back he could have another great game he could have a game like he had against Blackburn and I think whereas with Dallas at left back you know what what you're going to get from him Um, and you also know what you're going to get from Click and Rodrigo in midfield it might not be perfect it might not be everything that you want from your midfield but you know what you're dealing with and um, sometimes limiting the number of random elements the the risk chances is is a sensible move and then it doesn't work anyway it all feeds back into what i was saying though at the weekend on the match ball about like angus kinnear's um, program notes is that there is sort of there's sort of a gap isn't there i bet in five years time will be absolutely amazing because all these players will have had the chance to stabilize come through and will have probably settled into um into first team football but at the minute there's just sort of this lag isn't there there's this sort of latency between the first team and the sort of the aging bunch of players that we've got that are the, the core players at the minute and those coming in to backfill once they go there's kind of you've got Lewis Bate who's how old is he 19 something like that and then you've got Dallas and Click who are north of um, north of 30 the pair of them and there's kind of nobody really in between to fill that gap you're saying in, it all... in five years time Tyler Roberts will be at his peak is that what you're saying uh, yes he will he will be won't he? he'll be about 28 years old so yeah he'll be in his um They'll be finessing at that point. But do you know what I mean? Like it, it's kind of it's about the transfer policy and why it almost seems ill advised that, that Angus said that when we're not really utilizing the under twenty threes as first team players for the reasons that Moscow identifies in that they're not quite ready yet. That they're good, but you don't know quite what to expect from them. I think the only one that's maybe crossed that Rubicon now is Gelhart and the crowd is kind of sensing it and wants him to be brought on because they feel more like they know what they're gonna get rather than that random under 23 factor he's a striker as well is Gelhart that's the other thing that we very clearly don't have one at the moment and we've seen Gelhart and we know he's good and it's it's hard to get your head around why he doesn't get some more game time at the weekend I, I can see why he didn't start because Dan James was good against West Ham I mean he was, he was good in this apart from his finishing and Gelhart was of, of returning from an injury but it was when he made that change, it did seem to, in much the same way as Gelhart coming on in previous games has really lifted the crowd, him not coming on in this game, just you could just sense it around the ground. No one, no one had to, no one like booed or shouted anything as far as I could gather, but people just went, oh, it's Tyler Roberts coming on, is it? Not Gelhart. Right. Okay, let's see. And then eventually when Gelhart came on, he did a couple of decent things, didn't he, Gelhart? But it felt like we'd we completely, to use a Bielsa term, unbalanced the side by that point. I definitely would have brought on Gelhart before Roberts, and it's what I was expecting. He'd actually been called back to the bench about 10 minutes before Roberts came on, on like on the hour mark. I thought, oh, great, Gelhart's coming on, and then it changed. But I think on Dan's actual 
point about the under 23s and the, the transfers and the backfilling and the aging squad. We've not even finished the second season out of the championship yet. So I think these things do take time. And the thing about where is Tyler Roberts going to be in five years, he'll be playing for somebody else because we will have had the time and the resources to get a better player. Whereas what I was always saying in summer when he got his new contract was that's probably a better option than trying to spend a lot of money on a better player right now. And it's funny, this is from my match report as well, but I've been thinking it for a while about transfers and things and general direction of travel. But we're, when you look at clubs like Aston Villa, who are great at signing Coutinho and whatever, and Dinia from Everton, none of that was their plan. Their plan in summer was they had that brilliant strategy and their, uh, their chief exec came on, did that video where he sits in his crisp white shirt and he explains how they're spending the Grealish money and they've identified these three players with careful data analysis and they will fill everything that we that Grealish used to do and we'll, we'll use that money. Two months later, it's all gone to shit. Dean Smith's been sacked. They have to bring Steven Gerrard in. He can't do any better with the team that they've got. So now they get to January and they have to spend all this more money to, to try and rescue something from their season. Leeds, coming out of the championship, said, right, we're going to have two seasons and we want to finish 17th in both. And that was the budget, that was the strategy, that was the plan. And at the moment, they're four months away from doing it. Whereas every other team around, if you think of how many, you know, Watford are now on to their third manager of the season. Spurs shut the bed after two months. Scum sacked Solskjaer. Norwich, who else? Villa are the, the big one. They're always going around. Everton just sacked Benitez, who was their big summer plan. Benitez, they... The, the trouble they went to to get Benitez in, that's our strategy, that's our plan, that's the way. And then they get to January, they sell a player that, doesn't, that he doesn't like and doesn't like him and then sack him anyway. It's weird that Leeds are like the one club who've kind of gone, this is what we're setting out to do. We think this squad we've got will do it and Bielsa will take them there. And they're quite close. And we probably think they're going to make it. And the panic is that all these other clubs are making big moves and you get jealous and you you start to worry that they're going to do something that we're not. Well, the panic is about going down, isn't it? That's at the root of it, is that just the, the existential dread that we, we think we might go back down again because there's so much at stake and you, you take apart this side and the, the good things in it. It's, it feels like so fragile. It's like a butterfly's wings at the minute because if we do go down, then we have to sell off just about, well, everyone, don't we? I was just going to say, just on your manager changing point, Every side beneath us, with the exception of Burnley, have changed their manager this season. Uh, Everton, Norwich, Newcastle, Watford, more than once. And in terms of above us, not that many apart from Villa, who've, who it's, well, it's paid off for them in the sense that they're... Scum and Spurs. They're, uh, they're top half, yeah, and Spurs and, uh, and those lot as well. Interesting, isn't it? The point about aiming to finish 17th, I think, weirdly, had we finished 17th last year, we'd, be, we'd probably be all right with this. <laughs> it was just that it, we did so well last year and it was so much fun. And this season's a bit of a drag. But yeah, I mean, to go back to I mean, everyone tries to do things in January, don't they? It's like when West Brom got Big Sam, I think it was, that was before January, wasn't it? But they got Big Sam in and then he made some signings in January. It's like, oh, he knows what he's doing, does Big Sam. He'll get up the league. They ended up finishing on like 25 points or something stupid, didn't they? They were absolutely shit for the rest of the season. Nothing changed. And that's the thing, making, making changes at this stage, it can help. But mainly, you will continue to be as bad as you always were. And it's a weird situation. And I find it interesting where Leeds have got to because it is, if you're walking into the offices at Elland Road every day and you've got your, your big strategy whiteboard on and the plan is 17th and keep increasing that gap as you've done over the last month from five to seven points um, over where you're trying to finish. You're looking at it thinking, this is all going fine. 
we don't actually need to do anything. And you know, the 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 risk sometimes is like that. You do a you pull an dice, you change things, and they do, they either don't get better or they get worse. But also, the risk of not doing something is present because it's so close. Because we're not getting up to ninth like we were last season. But it is um, it's funny because actually getting so close to succeeding in what they've set out to do isn't reducing any of the pressure in the way that you think it might. And it's funny just to be in that position and wondering what they what they do now because they've obviously the thing one of the things with Kinnear's notes is he's talking about like it signing players now restricts what they want to do in summer and that's always been the thing is that two seasons finishing 17 and then Radrid Zani is then well then we start going for Europe so there's got to be something planned for summer to justify that kind of talk and to make staying up two seasons worth it the ground moves are all supposed to happen maybe the 49ers take over maybe there's a we start going for a, a higher standard of player that's all got to start for that and yeah what do you do now to make sure you get there then also doesn't once you are there i mean i'm glad i'm not running leads it seems like a dreadful business doesn't it yeah <laughs> you're coming for so much <laughs> flack you really do and on that point let's talk about a higher level of player in the form of rodrigo who's our record signing I couldn't pick apart his performance at the weekend. It it baffled me. It was very, very enigmatic. At, at moments, brilliant, as I said on the match ball. Other times, he did seem to leggy and lethargic and behind the game. Why is he not up front? What, what's happened there that means he's not playing in the position that he was signed for? It's just, this is another, is this, is this another Bielserism? It, it does seem frustrating because I don't think he's a midfielder. I think we've seen enough of him there now that I, I don't generally like him in there, I have to say. I get the feeling Moscow will disagree, but it feels like whenever he starts in midfield, generally end up feeling like we need to take him off at some point. I'm not sure if the stats bear that out, but certainly in the early part of the season where he, he was starting there and Bamford was up front and it felt like that was our strongest 11 that we were going with for about two weeks, we kept taking him off because it wasn't really working. Um, and admittedly, there were some difficult games in there, but I don't know what he is, is the problem. I don't really know where he fits in. And while I don't, I don't think he's a bad player and don't really dislike him, just don't know what the point of him is a lot of the time did you not like his beautiful passing from deep sending it through to or the toe of James almost that Rafinha had to flick back for him and the ones he was playing across the pitch to Rafinha himself yeah he does do that stuff but then it feels like we're just really porous through the middle because Newcastle's midfield is shit as well let's face it it's an aging Shelby and it was Longstaff who played a lot of that game it's a bad midfield and for us not to be able to control that, I think is a bit concerning. The midfield did their midfield didn't do anything for the first hour though. No, true. And we was actually it was a feature of the first half. And one of the things I was thinking about was how miserable it must have been to be playing for Newcastle against us in the first half, because every time they tried to get over halfway, we just took the ball off them and attacked again. And I think Rodrigo did look tired in the second half when um I was talking about expecting Gelhart to come on. I thought it was going to be for Rodrigo, because he looked like he'd he'd started blowing, and with it being his um, his only his second game back after his minutes were being managed the other week, but right, that's the change. Get Gerhard on for Rodrigo and move things about. But I don't. Th- I have seen as many people after the game on Saturday saying he played well as saying he played badly. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think there's maybe an element of bringing a preconceived idea about him from both sides that I don't think he's been as bad as people think so I think he played quite well a lot of people think he's garbage and not been worth the money and they seem to be the ones who don't think he played well it's kind of a 
I don't think anybody's opinion really changed about Rodrigo in that game. Everybody saw what they, they usually see. The money is an issue there, I think, because you know, from a record signing, you do expect big things. And I know it's not an amount of money that is out of kilter with a, a good Premier League player these days. You know, there, are, there are many Premier League teams that have £30 million players on their bench permanently. And maybe our expectation of a £30 million player is still based slightly upon it being like the mid-2000s and us just having dropped out of the Premier League. I think if, he, if we paid like £6 million quid for him and he was playing like this, people, <laughs> would, be, people would be fine with it. It's just that, it's just the, there's just an anxiety around have we chucked all our money away on this guy? To put well, to put like I've got a few things on that. One is I was reading. Do you know Newcastle won Lingard on loan? Oh, they're paying like twelve million quid to him on loan, aren't they, for six months? For a loan fee, yeah. So I don't know where you think we're going to get a Spanish international for six million. <laughs> no, no, pounds I'm, I'm not. No, I'm, year not I'm not suggesting we can buy a Spanish international, but I mean, like, if we <laughs> if he'd have been a player that we picked up relatively cheaply, you know, if if he was like another click or someone who would who was playing like this, you'd be like, well, he's doing all right. I mean, we didn't pay much for Roberts and people hate him. So I don't know if that would have worked out. But the, the other thing is, if you, I was, you know, I spent some time looking at Aston Villa for whatever reason, trying to um, fathom what they're about. Wendy, 45 million, not done anything this season. They've had to buy Coutinho to now either replace him or it looks like play with him to try and get something out of him. And I think if you look at their um, signings since promotion, they came up the year before us and only stayed up because of a goal line camera being turned off or not picking up an obvious goal. Their squad is absolutely full of just garbage that they've signed who have, for just as much money, if not more, none of whom have, have lived up to it. And then the last one is that it's a team game and the targets that I was talking about before, if Rodrigo helps us get to 17th, fine. It's worked from a team perspective. He could have been more exciting along the way. He could have played better in all the matches, but there's kind of, Sometimes I think about it sometimes when people go through that kind of parlor game of rating Victor Orta's signings as hits or misses. And I think, well, we got promoted. So all of that worked. And, you know, if you went through, I remember and Dan remembers 1990 and Howard Wilkinson's Magnificent Seven for promotion from Division Two, who were all lined up as these are the guys who were going to get promoted. And there was Mel Sterland and Vinnie Jones at one end. But then you had, um, was it? Uh, Chris O'Donnell, oh, was he there? Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> Mickey Thomas, who was 36 if he was a day and played like three games and disappeared. John Hendry was had the held a Costa of his day, played one season, contributed a bit, got injured, was decent, but then got sold because Wilkinson didn't sign him. Jim Beglin, who uh, was important in the running, but then retired through injury in the next season because he, you know, he was playing with broken legs already. So, but it didn't matter because those players got leads into Division One. So the fact that you know, a few of them were failures was not a problem and held Costa falls into that category for for promotion that you know he wasn't brilliant he wasn't exciting but he got a couple of goals he got a couple of assists and he was in the team and we went up and from that point of view Rodrigo seems to have a very good rep among the players they all seem to think he's a fantastic professional so maybe from there's those points of view as well that somebody that they work with every day has got value in the Papo Hernandez sense that we would have liked to keep Berardi around for his off-the-field stuff. If he's providing some of that at Thorpe Arch, then good. But um, he doesn't thrill, and I don't think we've ever seen the best of him. But at the end of the day, £30 million isn't bad if he gets you to the next stage. I also think that one of Rodrigo's biggest problems is Rafinha being so cheap and so good. Yeah, <laughs> He's framed against that, isn't he? But there you go. Yeah, it's, it's every... 
every player you buy, he gets compared against others. And, and the, he has the added difficulty as well, as we have Stuart Dallas in the team, who we paid like virtually nothing for, and Pascal Strauch, who we paid virtually nothing for. And some of these players look absolutely brilliant. But you can't just go and pick someone for, up from Ajax's youth team and put them straight in the, into the first team squad for 200 grand. You know, he, he's, he's from years of development, has become as good as this as Strauch. So it's, yeah, it's the... Um, I think it definitely is. It seems to, I don't know if it weighs on him personally, but it weighs on our expectations of him, does the price tag. I think the other, the direct comparison for him is Pat Bamford at 7 million, who he was ostensibly to replace or be in competition with. But because he just turned himself into a 17 goal England international Premier League striker, we've never, until this season, when Rodrigo was also injured most of the time as well, needed to play him as a number nine. So, it's been about putting him in as a attacking midfielder and seeing how that works. And at the same time, the one thing that has always been missing from the strategy of what they've been trying to do is that attacking creative central midfielder, whether it was Mikel Cuisance, whether it's uh, Conor Gallagher, Lewis O'Brien, or now Brendan Aronson. They've been trying to sign that player for the entire time since we've got promoted. So that's obviously the one part of what they were setting out to do that they haven't been able to do. And that might have changed things for Rodrigo. He may have sat on the bench and just watched Pat Pamford score all the goals if we got that player. I don't know. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is part two of the show where we find out what the Newcastle fans made of it all. Michael, you've been delving through their fan channels. What have you found for us, you lucky sausage? It's horrible. It's just horrible. <laughs> it's trying to find anything. The problem is they don't, after a win, teams tend to talk about themselves, which is really boring for someone who doesn't support Newcastle. They just kind of twitter on about how, you know, individual left-backs played or whatever, and you think, well, does anyone want to hear that? There was a bit on Newcastle fans TV talking about our team. They were bigging up Dan James, mm. said he was excellent. So they did a bit on us, but then they got weird. One of them started saying that Chris Wood was his man of the match and played so well that um, he was getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> right. That's an interesting take. Even the, the other people on the podcast with him 
were wondering if he was okay. <laughs> it's, it's, some of the takes are weird, I think, after a win. It's like on um, we picked out Trippier as being not very good, and then I watched Match of the Day, um, and it was picked up on the on the um, on the feedback form actually. Um, it was it was Jelly pointed out on it saying how Shearer had made done a big thing about how brilliant Trippier was. And he just wasn't, was he? No. He it, he improved in the second half, and I think it was telling that the clips that were shown on match of the day of him were all second half clips because in the first half, Jack Harrison basically just went past him every time. Yeah, Shearer did that, and Jelly is absolutely right. And the, there was even in the second half, I think um, it was Harrison was running away from him, and he was miles out. Like there was no way Trippier could keep up. But then I'm interested whether like how influential. Shearer's so-called analysis was that a lot of comments on that uh, video I was watching were all giving Trippier the, like they'd rated Trippier as a seven out of ten on the, the YouTube thing, and lots of people in the comments were like, "Oh no, he was ten out of ten. He was amazing," and he wasn't. He was awful. I mean, he wasn't awful, but he wasn't good, and he was conspicuously getting beaten by Jackie often. I think it shows that someone like Shearer saying someone's good has more influence than you saying Tyler Roberts is good. Every week, it's uh, it's just not it's just not swinging people in the same way. Do you know? I was thinking about Trippier. I knew there was some weird former memory I had of him. Do you remember? It was Eddie Howe's Burnley saved Simon Grayson's job. I looked back on it. Jan 2012, Trippier was sent off after half an hour for two yellows while playing for Burnley, and we won it with goals in the 88th and 95th minutes. Uh, was that um, Housen? Um, it was McCormack who got the late goal. The the, the equaliser was a ridiculous comedy own goal from a corner. I think it was in the near post, and it was it was one of those where you try and the defender tries to clear it, and it goes backwards into his own net. And then, uh, like yeah, in the deeper into injury time, we we managed to equalise, but we'd lost we'd lost three on the bounce, and it was basically that Grayson was going to be sacked if we lost that one as well. So it was it wouldn't even like three extra games before we, we eventually sacked him. The Shearer on Trippier thing was so weird that it, I was thinking about it quite a lot. And it got to the point, he kind of, his big ending of his piece was that he thinks Trippier should be future Newcastle United captain. Mm. And I was wondering at the end of that, whether when he got off air, he just got his phone and sent him a text. Got, got that in there for you, Kieran. That's all right. Because it was so strange to kind of pick him out of everything in the game. Um, and then for that to be the conclusion, it made me thought, think that that was maybe the point. His mate, Kieran, deserves the armband at the Magpies. Who's their captain now? Some no mark. Some, <laughs> uh, some terrible human rights mollifying <laughs> pig. I didn't watch. I didn't watch match of the day. Absolutely refused. That got deleted straight from my planner when I got home on Saturday night. Not having any of it. So I don't know what analysis they did. I'm, I assume it was wrong. Anyway, uh, let's find out about the analysis of True Faith as well. Then. So they were recording from some sort of uh, industrial estate near Ellen Road where they where they'd parked. Mm, everyone seems... All the clips are found of people who actually went to the game. They all seem to be out on the uh, the outskirts somewhere. But yeah, this is um, a short, but essentially fairly fair summary of the game. And that just felt so good. Winning, winning. Bit of a shit house win. Did we deserve it? Don't care. Can't, we can't be picky. We can't be picky. We're not picky. Don't give a fuck. Um, you know, the performance wasn't vintage. Didn't have to be. You see, I, I admire that honesty. That's all you need to say in the wake of a win like that, you know, rather than trying to tie yourself up in not saying they were brilliant. They weren't brilliant. They, they shithoused it and they don't have to care because they won in the same way that we don't have to care last week when we beat West Ham. But we did that with style and grace and should have won, <laughs> yeah. by, and should have won by at least two. This guy can take over from Alan Shearer on match of the day. That would have been better. He just come on and say, we weren't lucky, don't give a fuck. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Danny Murphy, anything to add? <laughs> right, go on then, what else have we got? got Toon Review. 
this is them well the talk complaining about not having a penalty actually which may have been correct we'll discuss that in a minute <laughs> Uh, John says, sick of all the mourners saying that we were lucky. I couldn't give a shit. We won simple as that. I've never seen anyone say that. And if they are, then they're absolute idiots. Look, you're going to need some luck. Uh, Leeds were lucky as well today, by the way. Let's not forget that. You know, they had their pieces of luck. It just swings both ways in a game. Uh, we haven't had a lot of luck this season, to be fair, um, with a lot of things. I'm including sure VAR. Yeah, Without a doubt, I was going to bring that up because... When he first went down, I thought, oh, that's just a slip. Now, on the replay, he gets tripped. He gets he gets his foot stood mm -hmm. on. Definitely contact. And then he slips. So why hasn't VAR picked that up, Danielle? Well, there's a, well, it was number one, it was Kevin, no friend, wasn't it, oh, on VAR, yeah, nobody's yeah. friend. Did they take it from the referee's call and say, actually, don't put it to VAR? I don't know, but it should have absolutely mm. been to VAR. Yep. It should have been absolutely a penalty. And then I was a little bit worried about Maxi after that because I thought if he doesn't shut up, he's going to go another yellow and go because he was going mad, wasn't he? This is the problem with VAR. There's no accountability. We've said it loads. Um, but and the, and the fact that I'm prepared to sit here and go, well, you know what? It went in our favour, so it's probably fine and they were probably right. But it's bollocks, isn't it, the whole thing? Shut it down. Get rid of it. Get it in the bin. Um, you, were gonna, you said on the match ball, actually, didn't you, Moscow? Because you had your little telly in the West Stand. Mm. There we go, little telly bell. You'd seen it and you thought it might have been a penalty, whereas I saw it in the ground no idea haven't watched any replays so still no idea <laughs> i was gonna say on the var accountability i enjoyed how on that podcast uh danielle seems to be being held accountable for it <laughs> why wasn't that given where was var danielle and, like, and uh respect to um kevin no friend that's very good kevin no mates from now on some nice low level uh trash in there but yeah, it was a penalty. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And I think that's that's the the match of the day analysis. That was Danny Murphy's contribution to it as well. He just went, yeah, that's a penalty. I think it was maybe not given because he'd spent a lot of time throwing himself on the ground and moaning about stuff at St. Maximum. And and actually, he's the way he went down on this was incredibly dramatic as well, with his arms kind of flailing as he was as he was admittedly fouled. It was one of those where there's not much in it, but he definitely. I mean, he gets kicked. They are given as penalties pretty much always. Yeah, it's like Robin Cox trying to slow down, and as he slows down, he slides and just takes some Maxman's legs away. It's not like the one on Urente. Some uh, Newcastle fans I was listening to were quite angry about that one. Urente on Manquillo that led to the goal of like that being like a, he he went right across him, arm, leg, everything to make sure he put him on the floor. Even though, as some of the Newcastle fans were pointing out, they didn't think he was going to get to the the ball as he'd put round him. But then the the cock one is a very different one, where it's kind of a just takes his uh, his ankles out. But yeah, I wonder if he played his, it played himself out of it. But then it, VAR is supposed to kind of take that factor out, isn't it? Where it's just remove the emotion of whether somebody's gone down too easy or played for it, and just be we can see what happened. That's a penalty. I'm all for a little bit of boy who cried wolf style refereeing, though, where they don't give stuff based on theatrics or previous theatrics. It's the way it should be ref refereed, as long as it doesn't affect us. Yes. And just on uh, Newcastle saying that they've not had any luck this season, getting that takeover approved was pretty lucky. <laughs> so, you know, be careful about when we're, we're weighing things up as to how this season go. Oh, we've, we've had it so hard this season. <laughs> Billions of dollars of petrol torture money flying at the club all because somebody at the FA just went, just do it. Just let them do it. It's fine. Don't want to deal with it anymore. Also, if, we, if we're talking penalty decisions, it was still not as blatant as the Dan James one up there, which was at 1-0, wasn't yeah. it? So and that's the important thing about this, is what aboutery, isn't well, it? Well... Th that's what football is built on these days. 
that Manquilo was an interesting point because they don't seem to rate him very highly. And he came on for Dummett, who I certainly do not rate. And still, even though I've now heard of him, I refuse to accept that I've heard of him. I'm going to really work very hard to forget him and remove him from my brain and life. Bielsa was talking after the game about how he tried to switch the wingers over and we still couldn't get, uh, we kept going down the wrong side and couldn't get any uh, better from that. And it's Manquilo who took the ball off Tyler Roberts, whether you want to say that's easy or not, and then charged forward, got the free kick off Llorente. And then they were talking about how he played very well defensively for the rest of the game. So it's kind of, it's one of those things because we, we always hyper-focus on Leeds and what Leeds should have done. But there was a player changing there for Newcastle that, from their point of view, they seemed to think was significant. But um, there's another player like they can enjoy Manquilo in the championship. <laughs> right, then, on to the next clip. And are they re- replacing Chris Wood already? He's only played, what, two games? Yes, I mean, we were just talking in the, in the first part about how um, we're still not sure on Rodrigo and where he fits. I mean, he's, he must have played, what, about 50 games for us now or something, all in all. Chris Wood, they paid 20 to £25 million pounds for him within the last fortnight. And they're basically already just getting rid of him <laughs> after two games. Uh, obviously, Simon Sim would be a bit harsh on Chris Wood. Look, I'm just saying how I see it. I mean, just I, an I'm, opinion. Exactly. I mean, if if people see something in him, then that's fair enough as well. I'm only saying what I see on the pitch, guys, and I don't I don't see a guy that's going to transform us. If Zapata comes in, then he takes Chris Wood's place. There is no doubt about it. You're not going to have a player like Zapata sitting on the bench, Alex. No way. He will be first name on the team sheet. He is a cut above everybody we have now. Absolutely. Far far better than than Maxi. He's he's scored goals at the highest level, Champions League, Serie A. Um, he's been doing it for several years. He is an absolute cut above. There is no way Wood gets anywhere near that starting eleven if, if Zapata comes in. So I, I don't know where Wood's going to fit in. If we do sign another striker, I don't know where Wood's going to play. That's what they've arrived at as a club now, isn't it? Absolutely, just completely disposable players at all times. I know we get frustrated with Bielsa sometimes saying, oh, they, whoever we sign needs to improve the first team. The lack of foresight for them to go, well, we'll try and buy a few players, and if the one we buy first, it's like we did with bloody David Livermore, and then we went, actually, Kevin Nichols was available, we'll get him, just get rid of that first one. And you wouldn't be at all surprised if Chris Wood does actually leave in summer. They'll sell him for like eight million quid back to Burnley. But then where's uh, Zapata going to play when Mbappe signs? That's very true. Very true. You know, they can sign Zapata in, this, in, in January to, to keep them up, but he's not going to have a long uh, shelf life. They're just spoiled brats, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why people want them to fail now, unfortunately, because that's just the way football is, isn't it? You see somebody else, with they've got unlimited wealth. They're not grateful for it. It's just like, I'll replace him. I want a better one. No, better one, better one. So you immediately wish ill upon them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not just the way they are with the players. It's the the sports washing side of it is a bizarre element to all this because they are. I mean, I know social media is not a necessarily representative of everyone, but Christ, some of the work legwork people are doing on social media to defend the Saudi regime, whether it's defending the fact it's not it's not them, it's this investment thing, and that's completely separate, even though it's the exact same people, or to the point where people are saying, "Well, I saw someone trying to make the argument that you can't have a go." at the Newcastle ownership because the British army have done bad things in the past elsewhere, like almost like criticising the British Empire as a reason why Newcastle are allowed to have a Saudi owner. He's like, I don't think the British Empire ever owned a football club as such, did they? So it's not really the same. Yeah, and people say, oh, well, they are changing, actually, so it'd be bad. You can't criticise them while Saudi Arabia are changing. It's like, well, mm, okay, but 
are they, are they changing enough? <laughs> Very strange. Yeah, and then it will come to the conclusion when they'll say, but they don't own our club anyway. Mm. So, okay, so why are you spending so much time on social media defending a regime that doesn't even have anything to do, you don't think, with your football club? Yeah. And like Eddie Howe said, get a hobby. Eddie Howe was even trotting out the line this week that their trip to Saudi Arabia is a football decision, wasn't it? Did you hear him say that this week? And it's like, oh, come on. Like, come, even, I don't think even Heckingbottom had the had the uh, the balls to pretend that the trip to Myanmar was anything other than a, <laughs> a, a daft fucking exercise in earning some brownie points or Adrazani, did he? It was like, well, looks like we're going to Myanmar. Brilliant. If I go back, for, and this is from memory, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, Heckingbottom's quote on it was it's not a football trip um <laughs> it was one of the few times he said something of value that wasn't uh with ball without ball but um yeah it's it's we'll go there play the games because people are saying like what can you get out of this from a football point of view and it's like nothing really it's not a football trip we're just going to play these games <laughs> i got my is honesty actually do you know what michael you you retweeted um something to the effect of what you just said there about the, the whataboutery and the sports washing and I, re- I was reading through the replies and actually the one reply that I respected most was, because it was the most honest, was, I don't give a shit. And that is a perfectly, it's, it's a valid view, viewpoint and it's honest. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. If, if, all, <laughs> if, you're in t- if your only concern with your club ownership is that they spend loads of money on players, that's a valid enough opinion, I think. Anyway, this is a conversation for, this is a conversation for another day. Let's, <laughs> let's move it on to the clips anyway. <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, after uh, we've had recent weeks, the people who are going to games in search of, search of limbs, in search of, uh, you know, the, the chaos, the carnage, that was it. This is someone called Adam Pearson, who's no, no relation to the, the Leeds United one, but he was um, instead doing live blogging from within the hospitality at Leeds. Hey guys, this is the table I'm on. As you can see, we've got the wine and cheese. My Heineken bottles down here. I mean, just look at that. I mean, you wouldn't see that the castle. It was just an unbelievable experience. I'm going to enjoy these Heineken bottles because it was not cheap. But you're on the big time now, baby. That's the menu for today, guys. We've got salmon, sirloin. I mean, this is just heaven to me. I'm not really a dessert guy, but we've got chocolate tarts down there. I mean, I'll tell you what, that's a decent free course, man. There's my starter, the salmon. Looks very nice. I mean, that almost makes up for the defeat, doesn't it, hearing these lads having a nice time? Christ. Wine and cheese, imagine that. Has he, has he ever actually been out? Wine and cheese, you wouldn't get anything like this in your castle. I love it trying trying to really make the most of the Heineken, as if, as if that's come from the the depth of the cellar. Alan, uh, uh, sir, we understand you've come all the way from Newcastle today. We have a <laughs> finest Heineken for you. I've been to Sainsbury's at Team Valley in Gateshead. It's got cheese and wine. What's it on about? Does it have Heineken though? Well, I don't know something as exotic as that. Well, let's just bin off the Newcastle ones because we don't need to hear people having a nice time now, do we? Should we move on to the wider world of propaganda and find out what's going on elsewhere? A bit more of entitlement, that's what people come to this for. So, Of course, yeah. Man yeah. City, you saw, had a disgraceful result at the weekend. They drew a game, didn't they, having won? Pathetic. Having won every game for since the beginning of time. So <laughs> they were obviously laying into the ref. Um, this is City Extra. You might remember these guys are the ones who were um, wanting to be sick in a bin. <laughs> about the um, about the Lim Cooper injury, but he the entitlement here spreads to the fact that Man City should only have the best refs doing their game. Absolutely. Well, I mean, are they being are they giving them the standard refs and not the premium ones? Basically, yeah, they've been given someone that he <sighs> thinks that they, every game that Man City play should have a ref of their choosing and the very best in the world. 
like the way the referee was going about the game, he just looked to me like he just didn't have control or like he didn't know what he was doing. I just checked his stats yet. Yeah. This guy refs about 10 games in the Premier League every year. 10. He's not a proper Premier League referee. He's like in the middle of the Championship and the Premier League. Like he's just a spare man. Like, I'm not even funny. I don't mean to be like rude to the guy and that, but like this is a Premier League. Like the Premier League needs to get a grip on this or the FA, whoever's in charge of these referees needs to get a grip. You know what I mean? You can't just be having some random Donny who's refereeing 10 matches a season referee a crucial game. And some people are like, it's not crucial. We're in a title race. Any yeah. referee that City get, any referee that Liverpool get, needs to be like the best, regardless of who we're playing, whether we're playing Norwich at the bottom of the table or whether it's Liverpool versus City. It needs to be like the best referees because this costs this cost stuff, man. <laughs> who was it? <laughs> I don't even know. But it's fine. <laughs> it's fine for him to referee 10 games a season, just not Man City games. Because their ones are important. They got a little ref, didn't they? And I think the uh, the legendary fixture of Southampton versus Manchester City. Oh, it's a massive game. Needs more needs more respect. I'm just looking through for a um, a historical example. So, 1994, Manchester City represented by the likes of Andy Dibble in goal, Ian Brightwell, Keith Curl, Andy Hill, Michelle Vonk, David Brightwell. Peter Beagrey, Steve McMahon, David Rocastle, God rest his soul, Uwe Rosler, uh, Cholino's friend, and Paul Walsh, bringing on Mike Sheeran and Stefan Carl. That's, uh, oh, uh, Martin Margitson was the unused goalkeeper. That's the kind of respect Prestige, for, uh, prestige, it, Moscow. It's the heritage that this kind of refereeing appointment is just not respecting. You know, Francis Benali was playing for Southampton that day. Ken Moncow, these players deserve for the, the memories of their contribution. Nicky Banger coming on and you had to pronounce banger. it Banger. He's a banger. Even though his name was clearly Nicky Banger. Anyway, the, it's it's a, it's an absolute insult to what these players say. Uh, we need to have better Fs when he, for City. This is City, isn't it? They're that close. They are that close. This to, is Manchester this United. Is United. Manchester United. It's Manchester United Football Club. Manchester United yeah. Football Club can't be having this. They had Brian Hill that day in 4th of April 1994 and wherever Brian Hill is now, they should bring him back. <laughs> well, part of the reason they were upset was because they thought there should have been a red card for a foul on uh, Americ Laporte, which uh, he tweeted a picture of his injury. I've included it here on the sheets for you to have a look at. It's a scratch, isn't it? <laughs> gash. Bit of a gash. It's pretty bad, but this was not a, uh, not a red card. No, and it was like, uh, if you say it's that bad, it's, it's not that bad. It's like, uh, it's somewhere between the scratch that Silvestri had on his back. It's like that for the majority of it, and then there's a little bit of a a little bit of a cut. But I think it's fresh after the game. Is yeah. this? I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. He's got very skinny leg as Laporte. I was actually quite surprised. I'm glad it's not happened to my leg, hmm. but I think he'll be okay. And the the tackle, the challenge was there wasn't any like force in it. The, I can't. I think was it um, long, um, and he just left his his boot as he was going for a, a 50-50 ball and nicked him, and it wasn't anything bad. He got a yellow card. It's fine. To listen to him describe it, you would think that his leg was in, being carried off the pitch in eight or nine pieces. With Laporte, I mean, you've all seen the photos of Laporte's leg. Yeah. He's torn apart, bro. The guy's going to need stitches. He's going to need everything on that. You know what I mean? He's going to need the best medical care he can <laughs> give him. It's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the FA website here, bro. Yeah, about, the, um, about sending off and that. He's, he's saying, look, sending off offences. Serious foul play is a sending off. That is a, that is a sending off. It just is a sending off. 
I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Violent conduct. It's not violent, but it's serious foul play. That's a serious foul play. Laporte's leg doesn't end up in the blender like it has if it's not serious foul play. <laughs> <laughs> the blender. He's looked, at, he's looked at the rules and it even says something about serious foul play and that just is a red card. <laughs> it's really cutting analysis. But yeah, he's he's going to need the best the best medical care we can give him. As if as if he's like had a, a Christian Eriksen incident. It's like he's come within. His life has absolutely flashed before his eyes after this incident. He's very lucky to be walking. Never mind playing football. I think uh, that kid should be refing Manchester City's <laughs> game, shouldn't he? With a, a grasp of the rules like that. I did go back to, because um, part of the, the complaint was about a John Stones one where he was sent off for what was definitely a worse tackle, actually, if you're looking, looking at him side by side. And his assessment of that, when he watched it, he went, oh, that's not great. But nah, nah, it's a yellow card. It's a yellow card. And he's thinking like, whereas he thinks that this has been in a blender, his leg, and he thought that the, the and the Liam Cooper tackle made him want to be sick in a bin. It's worth looking up. Laporte tweeted this picture, um, and it's worth having a look at it just to see the extent of the injury, because genuinely not that bad. Well, we'll put it onto the video version of this, and people can see whether or not, maybe with a, a, a graphic 18 certificate, graphic warning for a bit of a cut on the leg, something like that. Simon Hooper was the referee, by the way. I've heard of him. He's fine. <laughs> He's not, but fine is not good enough for Manchester City. They're a premium football club. They should have a premium ref. That's very true. Twats. Right, go on then, Michael. What's next? Got a bit of um, bit of poetry to bring you now for the uh, to end the podcast on. It's a, a Derby fan, uh, Ben Ben F Marg. He is on Twitter, and he's done. He's obviously got his GCSE drama as well as his GCSE English, and he's he's done a very moving performance of of, uh, of this. It's worth trying to see the video for it because. The level of acting in it is just toe-curlingly awful. But here you go. See if you see if it brings any tears. Do, do we want to play out the show on this? Like, not come back in afterwards? Because I think this might be so moving that we're never going to top it. It depends if we want to make fun of it some more. Okay, fine. Let's hear it. This city needs Derby County. And now it's on life support. Mel Morris, the liar, now administrators. We're begging desperately to be bought save our club we're crying football can't let this be weeks away from folding that is an abomination to me it's us fans that pay the price for one selfish disgusting figure one that convinces we had the EFL on strings and now each day sorry news is delivered it's the uncertainty that's killing us and for those who just couldn't care less, Gibson and Coeg begging for a few quid. Can't you see this city is depressed, hopelessly looking for answers in statements written blunt and cold? Tell me who stands by and laughs while club and livelihoods fold. Thank you, Wayne, and all the players and all the staff behind the scenes. Because you've made us believe that d- despite all this, somewhere there's a dream. I don't know what's going to happen. And I doubt that anyone does. I do. Whatever happens, we're together. We're black and white forever. So please, save our club. Is it all right if I don't? I don't want it. <laughs> it's the uncertainty that's killing him. That's, that's not actually... Um... That's not so true. It's the mountain of debt and uh, rules mm. that they've broken and the two pending court cases. 
And you know what's killing all the small businesses that rely on Derby County? Them going into admin and not giving, paying them any of the debts that they're owed. Mm. Mm. I don't think you can pin that on Steve Gibson or Wickham, who's also had a, a hit to their economy because they were relegated from the championship unfairly. And so they lost out on the visits from teams that they were playing at that level who pumped money into local businesses there. Um, so if I'm going to save a club, I'll save Wickham. Got a nicer kit. And, that, and that's enough. I did, I did learn something, though. It says Derby's a city. I kind of always thought it was a town. It's a really depressing uh, city. I once got caught on the um, inner ring road in Derby. If you think Leeds is bad to drive around, then this was choking. I was trying to get somewhere, and every time I came off a junction on the inner ring road, I was just in an, another wasteland, <laughs> no nearer to where I was trying to be. It was, this is pre uh, sat nav and RC, I spent an hour trying to get back to where I'd, I'd dropped some people off. I said, I'll just, I'll just drop the car in the car park and I'll come back to this gig that we were going. And it took me an hour to try and get back. <laughs> and then uh, I think it was the morning after that that I backed my car into, you remember my Persia? I do, yeah. You know, it had a big dent in the rear passenger door, that Derby. It was a pillar <laughs> in Derby. <laughs> so for those reasons, um, I think that's more than enough to send the place, uh, to send the football club bust. And, you know, send the poem to Mel Morris. It's not our fault. And also, like, at least 75% of that poem was just, we're really stupid. <laughs> can you please let us off? <laughs> yeah. It's like, Mel Morris convinced us that he had the EFL on strings. Yeah. Everybody else saw that he was talking absolute bollocks. Don't read a sad poem that basically is just, you know, how many different ways can I think of rhyming? I'm an idiot. Solve my problems for me. I did get excited when he used the word blunt at the end of a line. I thought, where's this going? <laughs> um, I will say, Moscow, your memories of that Peugeot, very, very poignant and a perfect place to leave it, a place of, of high emotion. Save our Peugeot. And that, and that Peugeot, quite fittingly, has been crushed and scrapped now, a bit like Derby County. Yeah, I read a poem over it as it was uh, wheeled away from me. It was better than that. And that does wrap up this episode of Propaganda. We're back after the Villa game with more of that. And let's just hope we win because we don't need to be subjected to that accent goading us in the wake of, of another defeat. So I don't know whether you're talking about Brummies or Steven Gerrard at this point. Oh God, double whammy, yeah. Right, we'll be back for that. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.